special guest on the line. And, uh, man, we've been talking about this for so long, and I'm sure he's going to have something new to say. But anyway, uh, welcome to Entrepreneur, uh, Corporate Speaker. Uh, t- there's so many titles I can give you, but we're going to just settle to uh, settle with Martin Brown. How are you? Now, we've known each other for goodness knows many, many years now. Um, and uh, we, I, I seem to recall we met uh, one rather cold and blustery weekend in the Drakensberg. It was rather cold. <laughs> we're not going to say how many years. No, no, we won't say how many years. But uh, from the time I met you, number one, we always seem to get along, and we're, we're, we've always had the, this, this great sort of relationship, lots of bantering. And, and, but underlying all of that is this, this profound respect and admiration that I have for you because of what you have accomplished to date in your life. And when, when I say this, people listening might go, yeah, okay, so, so what? He's a, he's, a, you know, he's a corporate speaker, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you weren't always a corporate speaker, and it, it has been a rather long and, and definitely not an easy journey to uh, get to where you are now. Share a little bit of your story with us. Who is Martin Brown and who was Martin Brown compared to who he is now? Oh, you're right. I wasn't always a corporate speaker or business person. Oh, actually, my first job, David, was I was selling potatoes at the side of the road out of the back of my dad's bucket. It was my first job as a teenager. Really? Yeah. Jeez, and okay. I actually had the opportunity to ask Justin Cohen what his first job was, and his first job was Father Christmas which I found quite strange. <laughs> Justin Cohen is Father Christmas. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it just doesn't job, but that was Justin's first job. Uh-huh. Well, I enjoyed engineering, so I studied mechanical engineering in school. And then after that, I decided that engineering was just boring. So I went on to emergency medicine. Mm-hmm. And that's when my life changed. Yeah. In two ways. I really enjoyed my job. And secondly, after the first year, I suffered a diving accident and broke my neck, leaving me paralyzed from the shoulders downwards, only able to move my head. Now, so everything I do in life now, I do with a stick in my mouth. And this is the most amazing part of the story because, and often you gloss over it, but I mean, I know, and I've grown up with a sister who has uh, who has spina bifida, which is a, it's a birth defect. But you know, you you say it so easily. You know, I was involved in a diving accident; it left me paralysed from my neck down. It sounds like yeah, okay, but just the the the, the sheer trauma that that must have been. I mean, you were perfectly able-bodied. You were saving lives. And then suddenly, like one, what, one weekend, one afternoon, bang, everything changed. Did you know when you dived in to that water and you heard, did you hear something go snap, crackle, and pop? I did. And it was a matter of seconds. Yeah? All I heard was snap. It sounded like you're breaking a green twig. Yeah. And immediately, I felt nothing. I was fully conscious, and I had this terrible smell of fermenting mud and leaves in my mouth. Yeah. 
that I could hear my friends on the sandbanks of the river playing along, thought I was joking. And I was lying there, face down, floating in the water. I couldn't do a thing. I couldn't move. I could hear them, and I thought, oh, I wonder how long I can hold my breath. And two and a half minutes was my record, and uh, she got me out of the water. Goodness me. And then uh, and then off to, to, to hospital. But you say at that stage you knew something was irreparably damaged. Yes. If you studied emergency medicine, you know one of the first things is your ABCs, airway, breathing, circulation, and you know you stabilize the neck. Hmm. So I've worked with these injuries for years. I've nursed in neurology in Florida Clinic. So I knew what spinal cord injury were. Yeah. And when I struck that sandbank, I knew the signs and the symptoms I had then. Wow. Now, now, what do you do when, when you know, the, 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 the accident itself is over, you've now been hospitalized, and people come in and they go, Mr. Brown, sorry, but you are not going to walk again. In fact, life as you know it is going to change. Uh, what what did you feel? I mean, you must have been depressed. I don't know you as a depressed person, but I mean, I can only imagine that must have brought you down horribly. That's actually the first words the neurologist told me when he walked out and he saw my shows. He said, he stopped at my bed and said, you have a 1% chance of ever walking again. And he left the room. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's like a mic drop. That's it. Yeah. And you do go, there's something called the curve of change. You can actually Google it. Mm-hmm. We all go through that. Every single one of us in life goes through this curve of change. And the first one is denial. Firstly, I'm going to prove this doctor wrong. He's has no clue what he's talking about. In a few weeks' time, uh, it's just a dislocation. I'm going to stand up and I walk out of here. And you're going to deny and deny and die. And then after that, anger. Mm-hmm. Anger city. Anger with yourself, the situation, what is it? only, the people around you. And then depression sets in as well. What now? What am I going to do? How many people that I'm disappointed for one stupid little accident? Yeah. And then after that, we start getting through that curve. We start making little goals. We achieve them. We go up and up. Sometimes we slide down a bit. Then we go up and up and sometimes slide down a bit. But finally, we do get there. And I say it takes about six years. Six years to get after a very traumatic event to almost back to where you were. Wow. And from then on, it's up and down, rollercoaster constantly. And depression is one of the big things. Really, people think depression is a special thing. It's not. It happens to every single normal person out there. Well, listen, I've I've said this on air before. I mean, I used to poo-poo the whole depression thing. And I was like... There's, there's not really any such thing. Pull yourself towards yourself, you know, chin up, shoulders back kind of thing until it hit me when I was living in Nelspruit. And I promise you, um, it is, it's a thing and it's a real thing and it's a scary, scary thing. It's a scary place to be. It is. It's a very dark place. And sometimes, you know, when we pull up next to a robot and we see this guy standing with a signboard saying, no food, no children, no this. Mm. And we have no empathy. Yeah. Because we think, yeah, you're just standing out begging. Yeah. So you know what? Your problems sitting in that car and these problems standing at that robot are exactly the same problems. 
Yeah. The problem might be, uh, am I going to make my bond? Uh, are we going to get bonus? Where are we going on holiday? Am I going to afford the school fees? Your problems are that big. These problems are just as big for him, although they just, am I going to get a meal today? Yeah. Am I going to sleep in a warm place? Yeah, and that's 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 a very very sobering sobering thought, but you you went through this and then you did something which I find quite amazing. And when we come back, I want to talk about um, that that period. Now you've 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 kind of come to terms with the injury, and you're now deciding. Okay, so now what and who is Martin going to be going forward? When we come back, I'd like to have a chat about that. Sure. Special guest on the line with me is uh, none other than Martin Brown. So, Martin, uh, before we went into to the break and the songs, uh, I said we wanted I wanted to chat a little bit about um, you've now sort of recovered, um, you know, and you've you've come to terms with with your injury, but you are still essentially bedridden. Uh, what did you do then? Because because what you do now. Um, I, I still am, am amazed by the amount of work you actually do. Yeah, bedroom is actually the correct term, though. When I left rehab center, the medical aid was exhausted. But only I had a manual wheelchair that funds were collected by my dancing friends. Mm-hmm. And all, when you paralyze from that down, a manual wheelchair is pretty useless. So you're still being pushed around. So you are still dependent on the people around you to get from point A to B, or yeah. even just for a change of scenery. Mm. So really, I did spend most of my time in bed watching TV, feeling sorry for myself. It became that moment where I had to do something. So I got my PC together, which was a real old Pentium 1 Cyrex processor. <laughs> Four eight six top of the range BGA monitor thingy. Well, on the old modem that dial up, and I started to learn how to code websites yeah. and write pure HTML code. Well, I started my first little company like called Living Web Creation, creating little one-page websites for people. But my passion really didn't lie into it. Uh-huh. So from there. Finally, my dad worked overseas, tried to get money together so we can get a decent wheelchair for myself. It took three years to get an electric wheelchair that was suitable for me, somebody that's six foot three, a big guy, and a wheelchair that can get me more than just A to B, but C to D and everywhere else. Yeah. Finally, we got the money together, we ordered this wheelchair from overseas, it arrived. Beautiful. My dreams, the chair I always wanted. Except it arrived without batteries and with the incorrect seating. Oh, so lovely. Had, yeah, no batteries, eh? Pretty good for electric wheelchair. Well, well, electric wheelchair, I mean, batteries are heavy. Shipping, you know, is, is a problem. Yeah, actually, I did ask him why. And he said, since I ordered it and before he shipped it, the price actually went up, so he decided to send me without batteries. Oh, that was nice. Oh, well, it makes yeah, that's, sense. That's nice, huh? Yeah. So, my friends got together, we got batteries in the chair, we stripped it and took it apart. I looked at it and I thought, you know what? I can do this better. But before I got back, I got into that chair and for three days, man, I drove around. All over here, up, down, around the pools, moving furniture, 
practicing. Mm-hmm. Those three days, David, cost me six months in bed. Really? Incorrect really? I developed pressure sore. Oh, and yeah. That cost me in bed for six months. And while lying in bed, my chair, my independence, my freedom stood in the corner and I could only look at it. And while lying there, I thought, if this happened to me, how many other people are struggling with the exact same problem? Yeah. They have mobility that is built on a production line and not built for the person. Mm. And that's where I got this bright spark is, why do not, why don't we build wheelchairs to fit people instead of trying to fit people into wheelchairs? And, and this is where radical mobility started, while you were lying in bed recovering from a bed sore. I was actually lying in bed doing a, an assignment for Yanisa with voice-activated software and a laptop while looking at my wheelchair. Yeah. When this idea came up. And so what did you do? Well, I could, when I could get up again, I got my chair, I uh, fixed the seating a bit, I got in front of my computer with a stick in my mouth, software that was donated to me, CAD software. And for four years, I designed, I wrote a business plan, which I knew absolutely nothing about, SWOT analysis and feasibility studies and marketing analysis. And finally, I got this plan together and I pitched it to about 10, 20 people. And I got 19 rejections. Sure, okay. And one took a chance. And they usually do not take chances on people that want this little money. I only asked for 500,000 rand to start off. They usually do three and a half million and above. And they took a chance on me. And that's where it all exploded and it all started. And finally, it was, you know, the satisfaction, the same way it says is always better to give than to receive. Finally, I could take my training, my education, my life that I enjoyed serving people in a way, and I can now do it again. I could build wheelchairs that allow people to explore different areas, and I could serve people. And that is the most amazing feeling. But through all of this, and, and, and you're doing this, I mean, yes, you've, you've, you've had... Um, you've had like some 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 pretty pretty serious help. I, I mean, I know um, everybody calls your mom mom because she is like everybody's mom. But she's always been there. But the design work in that, and I don't think people understand because talking to you on the phone, you know, you go, okay, yeah, Martin. But to actually see how you operate your wheelchair because it's all it's. It, I mean, you've got a little ball on a stick, and uh, that's that's where it all happens from. I mean, uh, from there you operate your chair. You can uh, you can access the the, the 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 internet now. Phone calls. You do the whole lot. And I often forget. And the one day, um, I think I was I was either going to be talking to you or sending you a message where I'm like, could this guy just hurry up? And my fiance is like, well, that's a little bit insensitive, don't you think? And I'm like, why? All he's got to do is answer me. And I was like, yeah, okay, I understand it takes him a bit longer, but I'm not going to give him any slack for that. Um, but it is, every last thing that you do is is something that's, it's, the challenge is multiplied 20, 30 times. Well, 
let me explain my computer setup quickly. Um, I don't use voice activation much because it really slows me down and it's irritating and it doesn't understand what I say. <laughs> and then I start swearing at it, which it doesn't even understand less. So I took my mouse, which is a normal mouse, I turned it back to front. Yeah. Uh, the little tail is facing me. Mm-hmm. I've got a dull stick with a piece of press stick at the end and a piece of rubber at the other end, which I pinch between my two teeth. Yeah. And I learned how to control my mouse back to front and upside down. In front of that, I've got a keyboard. Normal keyboard laid forward, so that's what I type on. Yeah. So my mouse, I can left click, right click, click, drag, do everything like that. Mm-hmm. So that's my PC. My keyboard is eye level. My mouse is in front of me. And I'm, I'm a pretty short gamer. Huh? You, I'm pretty you, hot in the gaming industry as well. You game as well, as long as you're not in the Rocket League, because I believe, you know, you've got some competition in Rocket League at the moment with, uh, yeah, with young Ryan Hogarth. <laughs> now, you, you've, you've gone out, you've built Radical Mobility, which is a company that does... It's bespoke wheelchairs, essentially. And I mean, I've, I've seen some of your wheelchairs. I've seen the, the tests that you take it on. These are like serious wheelchairs. I mean, they, you've thought this thing through. The batteries last long. They've got great sort of, they've got great torque. So they can take bigger people around. I mean, I, I could probably quite easily um, being almost, yeah, I think I am your height. We're both about six foot three. Um, you know, your wheelchair could take me if it needed to. Um, and then, Recently, I saw that you've actually made one now that'll help people stand. Yes. We've actually exported quite a few standing 4x4 wheelchairs, which we were actually the first in the world to create a standing four-wheel drive wheelchair. And, I mean, that must, to somebody who's either always lying down or always sitting, that must be absolutely amazing to be able to experience that but this still wasn't enough for you then you decided you wanted to do the public speaking thing which which sounds great you know when you become a corporate speaker it sounds great but once again you had a whole bunch of challenges to overcome there yeah the corporate speaking environment is i felt that you know what i've got i've learned so much in business i've won over nine entrepreneurial awards i've worked with my guys where it's only me and the guys in the factory. Yeah. So, and my guys have been with me for 15 years. So something I must be doing right in the leadership part. I must be creating a good working environment, a safe working environment. So I'd explore this and I thought, you know what? I need to share this knowledge with the people out there. I need to share this story, how we can create as leaders how we should be servant leaders and create a safe working environment. And, and this is the thing, because this is what amazes me about about your setup and about the factory is is exactly that. You have people that have worked with you for 15 years. Um, and I know that those guys that work with you have gone above and beyond the call of duty on numerous occasions. And you attribute to this to this this whole concept of servant leadership. Um, and, and obviously that's what you're talking about. Now, but explain to me, what is a servant leader? A servant leader, or let me simply, is a person that listens more and speaks less. It doesn't mean they don't speak. Because yeah. remember, we're social human beings. We need to communicate. 
communication is not just a one-way street. Yeah. You need to listen and you need to speak. But as a leader, we need to listen more and speak when everybody has spoken. We need to eat last. We need to leave the office last. We need to lead as a servant. Now, sometimes you look and people's got 3,000 employees in their company and they say, well, I care for every single one of my employees. No, that's absolutely rubbish. You don't know all 3,000 employees in your business. Yeah. But you do know the 20 people that are close to you. And if you're a good leader, you create the atmosphere that those 20 people that are close to you are creating the same atmosphere for the 20 people that are close to them and close to them close to them. When, because I come out of the environment where I worked in the fire department, worked in emergency medical, where we are a very closely knit community, where you look out for the person next to you. You know what? In the military, in the army, in the police, we look out for the people next to us because when something goes wrong, they'll step in and do it for us. Yes. But in the corporate environment, we actually get paid to get people to do things for us. We get the bonus. Mm-hmm. Well, it's totally backwards, isn't it? Yeah. You should be... Okay. You should get a bonus because you perform great. Not because other people perform great. Oh, okay. Sure. That's not going to go down well in this country. No. And that's why we are where we are, because <laughs> we are self-serving leaders. Yeah. We are not servant leaders. Okay. We and we after our own pockets. Yeah. And the thing is, nobody can, nobody can actually challenge you on this and go, listen, mate, what you're saying is not right, because you are living proof that, that, that living the philosophy of the servant leader, um, it, it, it impacts your bottom line in a very, very positive way. It does. Because we are all about the profit. We're not about the people. Yeah. And that, that needs to change. If you take it, we've got a new generation of people entering into the workplace. Our generation Z. And mm-hmm. they are the generation that are post-9-11. They grew up in a, a war-torn society, in um, economic downturns. They are not the generation Y. They're generation Z. They want to see a change in the workplace. They are not there for promotion and uh, titles. Yeah. They want to see change. And if you as a leader can't implement change or create an environment where people can change, then sorry, you're bound to be out of business pretty soon. Wow. Okay, so now this is, this is what, what you're doing. You do, you do the, 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 the corporate gigs as well. But when we come back, we're running out of time, but when we come back, not only do you run Radical Mobility, not only do you do the public speaking, I know you do a lot of, uh, of, of other charitable work as well, but there's one specific aspect of what you're doing um, that I want to chat about because I just, I just find this absolutely fascinating. My special guest uh, is uh, entrepreneur and speaker, uh, soon to be author as well, Martin. When we come back, I'm going to talk about the author part, okay? Uh, and so we'll be chatting to him a little bit about that. I'm going to put him on the spot when we come back uh, about the book, 
um, and find out what the progress is there. It is Mix 93.8. This is Legendary Radio. My name is David Watson. Absolute pleasure to be with you. It is what's involved on this uh, Monday night. My special guest on the line with me is Martin Brown, who is uh, an entrepreneur, the owner of a company called Radical Mobility. You need to go and check out uh, what they do. Uh, I said when we came back, Martin, I was going to ask you about uh, your writing. So let's start there because I've been hearing about this book for a while now. I thought you forgot about that. <laughs> no, I haven't. And, uh, you know, um, I, I did, uh, I did, I have to t- tell you this and I have to confess, I did speak to uh, mom earlier today as well and uh, did a bit mm-hmm. of spying about how the book was. So uh, she encouraged me to ask you about it. Thank you. I'll speak to her later. <laughs> I'm about halfway, David, and I'm right down the period where I'm a little bit stuck because it's a very difficult period in the book, writing. It's at that period where I'm in bed contemplating what, if, why, that. Um, I'm finding it a bit difficult to put it down in words. But I must do what one of my friends basically said, is just vomit all the words out and sort it out later. That actually, I, I've heard that advice before, and and you know, for certain things, I think it is it is very very good advice. Just get it out there and sort it out. But I can't imagine because now what you're doing is is you're going through the process in this book, and you're in fact reliving uh, those those very very dark times as well. Because you know, uh, there are times when you when you when you're in a position like that. I can only imagine that you you sit and think to yourself, well, what is the point in going on? And yet you found the point and, and you made it your mission to do this. And, you know, when, when, when you describe you working on the computer, everybody goes, yeah, well, it's easy typing a computer. You need to remember that uh, me sort of very casually going, you know, when are you going to finish the book? You have to type everything with your special stick that you have. Every single letter in the book is typed with one keystroke with a either with a stylus on a cell phone or with a stick on my computer. All right, so you know what? I think we'll be fair. We, we'll give you, what, what What do you think is a fair time? I mean, when can we look forward to it? Because I'd love to interview you about the book when, when, you, when you release it. So, so what sort of time frame would you, uh, would you give it? I'm, I'm going to set the time frame in stone, how Yes, I like this. February. I like commitment now. February. February, done. Sorted. If it's not if it's not finished by February, yes. Then may the whole listeners of Mix FM come down on me. All right, we shall, and we shall bring rotten fruit and veggies to throw at you like they did in the old days. Um, listen, we are running out of time, but very quickly, because that's not all. You know, And this is the story of Martin Brown. Uh, every time I want to say something, I'm just like, but, but that's not all, because you now had a look around and you decided that uh, people in, in less privileged areas, in, in some of the, the townships, townships, et cetera, et cetera, you noticed there was a problem there and you decided to do something about it. Talk to us very quickly about that. Yeah, the problem actually started with one of my workers coming to work late and didn't have food, didn't eat in the morning. And this is not normal for him. So I found out what the problem was in, because in the rural areas, sometimes electricity off for 10 hours, sometimes two weeks. And all they then have is one primer stove or one little gas stove to cook on. 
So I sat and I listened to the guys what the problem was. But now this this goes back, this speaks back to, to this whole concept that we've been discussing this evening of the servant leadership. Because normally, if, you're, if your employees are late or whatever the case may be, the first thing you do is... Uh, um, you know, we, 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 we sort of, you know, blame them and shout and scream, et cetera, et cetera. You didn't. You asked them what it was and you listened. Yeah, we reprimand. We warnings and all those things. But there must be a problem. And there was. These guys couldn't get ready for work because there was no hot water. So I searched around and I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. So I found something called a rocket stove. Now, this thing is simplistic, it uses very little fuel, and it burns extremely hot. And it takes me about an hour to make it out of scrap fuel that I have left from building wheelchairs. Yeah. So I thought, but you know what? If I can do this for one of my guys, why don't I start a funder fund page and get people to sponsor one rocket stove, we will build them and give them away. So, so okay, hang on. other people in that around my factory, yeah. in saw Shango, those areas, so it can help them. And then in turn, oh, maybe we can help Eskim to shed lead power. Sheesh. I, th- I think it's amazing. So, so you are, you've got this uh, uh, sort of like GoFundMe page. People then donate, and you said it costs... For you to, to put the whole thing together, it costs about 50 US dollars. That's it, yes. And it's put together, delivered at the person, working like a bomb. And then what does this mean to them? Because I've actually seen this rocket stove in action. It's phenomenal because they get to boil water. There's a whole lot of stuff that, that they can do, which just it, it makes it a lot easier. It's so much easier. It really, you can you put it down there. It's so much safer and Really, the women and the children are usually the one that does the clean because the man's out working. Yeah. So with all this traditional way of making fire, they breathe in all the switch, all the smoke. The wood doesn't usually burn all the way through, so you're always left with pieces of wood. But this rocket stove is so clean burning, so hot, that it does a traditional job that takes two to three hours. It does it in minutes. And it also saves on the environment because you're not chopping down trees to fuel a inefficient fire. Martin, I think, again, this is, this is mind-blowing what you're doing. If people want to contribute to this project, where do they need to go? They can go find us on our Facebook page. Everything is set up on, on there, and from there it will take them out. It's just called Jet Stove Africa. Jet Stove Africa on Facebook. That's the thing to look for. And uh, Martin, if people want to get hold of you, let's say somebody's listening, they want to get involved, maybe they, 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 they need a wheelchair or know somebody who needs of a wheelchair, what is the best place to get hold of you? They can, there's two places. They can go to radicalmobility.com. Yeah. They'll find everything that we do there concerning disability-related uh, products. Uh, they want me for speaking gigs. They can find me at Martin Brown, that's Z-A. And what I'm doing now is half of my speaking gig will go to the Jet Stove Africa project. 
Oh, that's brilliant. So you're, you're just, you really are putting your money where your mouth is. Uh, so martinbrown.co.za, I'm going to give you that one. It's the easiest one, martinbrown.co.za. Uh, Martin, before I let you go, message just came in. It goes, awesome show as always. Thank you, David. Martin is a very courageous and strong gentleman who reminds me that things, that things aren't as bad for me as I may think. Never miss a show. Thank you for your work, sir. So there you go. Um, and this is what it's all about, though. And this is the thing that I found with, with Martin, is when you meet Martin, well, and I, I think it happens for most people, certainly with me, is I never saw the disability. I saw the mind behind it and the sense of humor and, and just the profound respect I have for what you've done. Martin, thank you so much for taking time out and having a chat to me. Great. Thanks a lot for having me again, David. I'll see you in February, huh? Absolute pleasure. We will chat again in February. I'm going to hold you to that. There we go. That was my special guest, uh, Martin Brown, on air with me. Uh, You've got to check it out, okay? Just check out uh, the stove and everything. He does amazing, amazing work, and he's such a great speaker. Um, speaking about great things, coming up next... Uh, a guest I've been, well, I'll tell you when I've got him on the line, but I've, I've been a bit of a stalker. I've been trying to get hold of him for months. Um, he is a man currently, I think, based in Los Angeles, a uh, gentleman uh, by the name of Ian Stanley. If you are not really in the online and internet world, you may not know about him, but you're about to learn a lot about what this man does and uh, his philosophy on life, because I've got to tell you, it's absolutely fascinating what he does and how he's accomplished what he's accomplished and uh yeah to give you an idea he he took tim ferris's advice about that whole four-hour work week he took that really really seriously we'll be back with ian stanley